Hey friends, Andy Jenkins, and welcome back to The Hilltop. You are joining me on, well, let's just say it like this. I am now, I think, one, two, three, four, I'm looking at my notes, five, six, seven, eight, nine lessons into really communicating with you the LifeLift framework. Now, LifeLift is all about finding and fulfilling your purpose. I believe that you were created uniquely by God for something that no one else quite does. They, they might do a similar thing, a similar task, but there is some special supernatural spiritual DNA, some strain that you carry that no one else quite does. You are, my dad used to say it like this when I was growing up, uh, it stuck, obviously, because I still remember it. Uh, he would say this to the congregation uh, on, on Sundays, so many times when he was preaching, you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. Now, all throughout the Bible, there is this idea that, oh, I wish we taught about it so much more, like Proverbs 22 talks about training up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so many people take that as a moral teaching. Like, oh, you train up a child in the way they should go, the right rules, the right routine, uh, do this, don't do that. Most most of us don't, by the way. Like, don't, you know, just kind of yeah, almost legalistically. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't train children morally. I think part of the issue going on in culture, part, not all, a big factor is that we've just kind of let kids figure it out. And those kids eventually become adults who have not figured it out. And they just keep aging up and then passing the same nonsense. And if, if you ever saw that movie, Multiplicity, uh, my, Michael Keaton was in it. And, you know, he was stretched a little too thin. So he made he figured out how to make a clone, a Xerox of himself. And then the Xerox made a Xerox. And every clone got a little bit more off or none of them were like the original. I, I really think that's what's going on in our culture, uh, or one of the things. We've just gotten morally off, and then the next moral version's gotten a little bit more off that, and then the next one used that as a stack pull and got more off that. And it, in fact, next week we'll talk a little bit about that. In the next episode, we'll talk about the importance of having a, a plumb line, a singular standard where we're not making a standard off what the previous generation did. Eh, we don't like that, so let's just make our own. And then the next one's making a standard reacting to what we did. And the one after that's reacting to, you know, and just all of a sudden it just disintegrates. It just goes downhill incredibly quickly. Well, so often that Proverbs 22, 6 verse, we're, we take it as train up a child in their moral compass, in the direction morally, legalistically, religiously they should go. When they're older, they, they might leave the church for a while, but then they'll boomerang back. Now, thankfully, God calls us back to himself, but that's not at all what that verse is saying. What it is saying is there is a unique design for each kid. Train up that child in the way they should go, how they've been wired, created, crafted by the master designer of the entire universe. You, as a parent, your role, part of it, is to find out how God has created them. What God is pulling together. What, what he saw in that child is their life story from before time began. And then help train them to walk in that. And if you train them in that, they won't depart that calling when they're older. They will walk out and fulfill their purpose, which has a lot to do, by the way, with 
how they were created. It's, and, and I would say it's not even a nature versus nurture. We have that argument all the time in culture about so many things. I, I think it's really kind of both. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking here at a house with 10 kids. Uh, and I can't even say kids anymore because some of them are, man, they're 21 and 19 and almost 18. And goodness, you know, on down to eight, <laughs> right? Um, they've all had the same situations to deal with yet they are radically different. And Life Lift is all about you finding that different for you because that is the sweet spot of where God has designed you. And you go, well, I wouldn't raise that way. I, my parents or whoever church organization I grew up with, schooling, whatever, didn't give me the opportunity to go in the way I was called. Yeah, I mean, maybe not, but the, the reality is you can go figure that, that out right now. Maybe you don't have the head start, others did, but we can still figure that out. All adults now were once kids and once had a design, a calling on their life that I believe still exists. No sin can mark away that calling. Some people say it can, it, it can't. No thing you do can erase that calling. It can't. Uh, it is something God has ordained, let's just use that word, specifically for you. Now, for the last few lessons, I've really been talking about that uh, framework of how we live out the presence of Christ and said, hey, here's some benchmarks. We don't wanna just do what Jesus would do. That's a great question, what would Jesus do? But an even better question, a follow-up question is, how would Jesus do it? And I, I suggest that we just use 2 Timothy 1.7 as our framework. It's simple. It leaves a lot of room for interpretation for each of us. And I suggested, you know, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's giving you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. And so in a previous talk, we discussed that power component. We talked about walking in the power of of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is given to you to empower you to far exceed what you can do naturally in your, the word the Bible uses is the flesh. And the flesh isn't bad, the flesh is neutral, the flesh is just your human capacity. God wants to empower you supernaturally to live beyond that, whether you're banking or whether you're teaching or whether you're raising kids or whether you're volunteering or whether you're schooling or whether you're what, whatever you're doing power second framework part is love power love and self-discipline love is the topic of the day and without further rambling and setting it up let's let's just roll into it because i really believe this is one of the places especially in cancel culture where you and I have one of the biggest opportunities to make an imprint on this world. Here is that second part of the framework within the framework, power, love, self-control. Here's the lesson on love. Timothy 1.7, God has given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. Now, in the previous talk, uh, in the previous lesson, we looked at that first one right there, power, and we really talked about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit comes to exalt Jesus, how the Spirit comes and brings this power, how the Spirit comes and increases intimacy and connection with our Heavenly Father, with Jesus, with the Spirit himself. 
in this lesson, we're going to shift and we're going to begin looking at that center one right there, love. Love is greater. Here's the main idea. God is love. And every kid that grew up in the church knows that God is love. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. And the church is called to embody that same love now. Okay, pause right there. So often the church embodies legalism. And again, by now, you know that we're going to latch on to this concept of instructional obedience. So we're not against keeping the rules. We're not against behavior. We're not against morality. We're for those. However, everything, everything is done in the context of love. You're going to see a great image here uh, that's in your workbook. It's on one of the slides here about that. Everything we do, continuing the main idea right there, should be motivated by love. Again, here's the outline. God gave you a spirit of power. You have a spirit of love. You have a sound mind. Those all describe you. They describe me. They describe how we should live. And, and as I've suggested, we're part two of the Life Live Framework. That's really our outline uh, as we discuss what it means to really practice the presence of God. It's, it's a presence of power. It's a presence of love. It's a presence of a sound mind. Here's, here's the main idea uh, or the first of the several main ideas in this lesson. The context of 1 Corinthians 13, now that is the chapter that is so often referred to as the love chapter. We read it at weddings, we read it at anniversaries, we post it and shellac it and put it on the wall. The love chapter isn't specifically about marriage, though. Now, it's appropriate to read in those venues. It's definitely uh, a worthy text uh, to point to. However, I want you to notice the content is really in the context of spiritual gifts. Uh, the love chapter actually highlights multiple spiritual gifts. Now, let's just read it. And as we do, I'm going to highlight some things. Now, we're not talking about the gifts yet. That's going to come uh, later on in our study in another lesson. But, but I want you to read this with me. And I want you to notice a few things. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, there's a gift right there, tongues. But if not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my, my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Notice, notice right there. Paul is highlighting in the middle of this several gifts. He continues, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, there's one of the gifts. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. Now, that imagery right there should immediately take you back to lesson number two, 2 Corinthians 3.18, 
to the book of James as well, where we talked about that mirror imagery that looking in a mirror is like looking at the image of Christ. Paul says right here, okay, well, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And you see right there in that passage, he highlights multiple spiritual gifts. And the main idea right here, it seems to be, and I'll, I'll just kind of point back to it and bring up the passage again. The main point seems to be something akin to this. If you can't exercise your gift in a loving way, then don't use your gift. Don't use it. Again, right here, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these on the bottom is love. Now, here's what you'll find if you open up your scripture, and if you go into 1 Corinthians 12, you're going to see it's all about spiritual gifts. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, you're going to see that it's about spiritual gifts, and really, 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about tongues and prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13 is right in the middle of it. Again, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is it's bookended, 1 Corinthians 12 about gifts, 1 Corinthians 14 about how to use the gifts in a healthy, helpful, honoring way. 1 Corinthians 13 is soap, saturated, centered in the uh, teaching that Paul has about spiritual gifts. And here, here's why. Another main idea is I believe that an environment of love is more important than the expression of the gifts because the gifts were given to express the heart of the Father. Now, what is the heart of the Father? God is love. We read that in 1 John, God is love. So an environment of love is more important than you and I using our gift because the gifts were given to us to express the heart of the Father. If we can't do it in a loving way, we need to not do it. Let's pull together a few just ideas, questions right here. Let me, let me just ask you, think about it. Have you, have you ever been nervous, uh, ever been nervous when you heard someone speaking, praying in tongues? Or when you had a pastor get up there and say, hey, everybody, if you got a prayer language, just use it right now. You see, in the scripture, we actually see text that outlines the use of these gifts in a helpful, honoring way that doesn't put anxiety into people. What, what about when someone stands to deliver a word of prophecy? Has that ever created any feelings of anxiety? Like, oh no, they might uh, bring out something hidden, something that's in the closet, something that I don't, that I'm kind of nervous about people hearing about, or, or it might, they might share something, or they might say, say something in an unhelpful way. Have you ever been so unsettled about some of the gifts mentioned in the New Testament that you actually avoid being around those gifts? And I'll just be honest, so far, you know, with all three of these questions, and I've got more for you, the answer for me personally is yes, yes, and yes. Let's continue going. Let's move off of some of those, uh, you know, power gifts or more expressive gifts. The more as we term them sometimes charismatic gifts, and the truth is all gifts are charismatic. Charis is that word that means grace. All of these are grace effects. In fact, I'm going to teach you in a few lessons, uh, four powerful words that describe spiritual gifts, because that word gifts, spiritual gifts as we use, it's not actually in the New Testament. What about preaching? If you ever felt condemned rather than gifted when you heard a message, one guy that I read uh, not too long ago, he said that some preachers put more guilt trips on people than a travel agent. Okay, so 
right there we see the idea when, when someone has given you something or served you in some way that maybe they've helped you in the helping you, did they ever make you feel guilty as if you had put them out or that you now owe them? There was a deficit in the relationship because they had served you. See, this is what we're getting at here with main idea number B is an environment of love is more important than the expression of the gifts because the gifts were given to express the heart of the father. The gifts were given to express love. Uh, here's our graphic that we've looked at multiple times. This is the one that we've been building out. Uh, you'll remember early on in lesson number one, we talked about Jesus here in the center reveals the father. The father sent Jesus to do this. In lesson two, we really began putting the idea together that Jesus reveals who we are. And now uh, in lessons three, four, and five, we really saw that, well, we, we also now reveal what Jesus is like, and he sends us to do that. And here, the fullness of God, the Father was in Jesus. The fullness of Jesus now is in us. We see this entire picture. I want you to grab hold of this graphic in your mind because we're going to continue adding some things to it. And it was specifically here, as the Father has loved me. So we, we read earlier, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now, now notice this one, John 59, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Love is the context of everything we do. No, no, notice, here's, here's the first image. And now we're just going to take that. We're going to build that a little bit farther. And I want to just kind of wrap it in love and show that love really is right there. Love is the context of everything we do. Love is the environment of healthy, helpful ministry. And that leads me to idea number C here. First John 4.18 becomes another framework that we can use to live out this environment of love, to live out really what this should, in my opinion, look like. Here's the verse, perfect love cast out fear. Now, that's one you can remember. Perfect love cast out fear. He continues in that. There's no fear in love, uh, but perfect love cast out fear. For Notice right here, fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Perfect love cast out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Uh, here's another translation from the Passion Translation. Uh, love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment, but love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Now, there are three ideas that I want to review that I want to latch on to right off that verse. Here's, here's the three. Perfect love. We want to discuss what that means. Cast out fear. And then the other idea, fear reveals that we've not yet been perfected in love. Let's break them down. Number one, perfect love. Here's what we're going to see. The perfect love means not only should we live up to your full potential of Christ being formed in you, but we should love to your full potential as well. Okay, let me just say that again. Perfect love means that you don't only want to live up to your full potential of Christ being formed in you. That's from a previous lesson, but we want to love to your full potential as well. Again, here's the ideas to review. Perfect love cast out fear because fear reveals that we've not yet been perfected in love. Now, in Colossians 1.28, Paul wrote them and said, here 
we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. This is review. That word perfect right there is the word teleos. It's the Greek word teleos. It doesn't mean without flaw that Paul is going to present every person without flaw in Jesus, that we're perfect, that we won't mess up, that we won't blunder, that we won't say something wrong, that we won't think the wrong thing, that we won't sometimes, oh, our emotions just kind of hijack us. What he's saying there is the word teleos reaching full potential. Paul said, him we preach so that we can present everyone up to their full potential in Christ. Our, our full potential is, is different. Our full potential, my full, full potential is different than yours. Yours is different than mine. Mine's not higher than yours. Yours isn't higher than mine. It's just different. We have a different calling, a different purpose, a different unique thing a unique form to use the imagery that we uh, grabbed a hold of when we talked about sin in lesson six, that hamartia without form. We have a different form, a design, a different poema, the different teleos to reach up to. And that's what Paul was writing in Colossians 1, that he wanted people to live up to their full potential. Well, in this verse, uh, you're probably starting to put it together that that word perfect is the same word, that that word perfect uh, that we see, uh, perfect love, cast out fear, it is that same word, teleos. There's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, teleos love cast out fear. In, in other words, Paul longed for his congregants in Colossians 1 to live their full potential, to live their purpose. And John is saying here in 1 John 4, 18, hey, I, I want you to also not just live your purpose. I want you to love your purpose. Love to your max potential. Love to everything that God has placed in Christ into you. And if you remember 1 Corinthians 13, perfect love hopes for the best. It believes for the best. That's the second point here. It never fails even when the person being loved clearly falters. In fact, Paul says this love keeps no records of wrong. It actually endures and abounds all the more aggressively, according to Romans 6.1, when sin is present. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. This love kicks in at a much radically higher level. What's the point? We don't want to just live up to our full potential. We want to love up to our full potential. That's what perfect love is. Well, the next facet, again, we've got three here. Number one was perfect love. Don't only live up to your full potential of Christ being formed in you, but love to your full potential. Number two is that perfect love, it casts out fear. It eliminates insecurity. It makes people feel radically safe. It almost demands in this gracious way, without even using the words, that people who are broken, people who are needy, people who are hurting, come in close. In fact, the same word used to describe this perfect love cast out, uh, the word there is the same word used all throughout the New Testament to describe what Jesus did to demons. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love expels fear. These are just different translations. The NIV, the NLT, the ESV says, English Standard Version, perfect love cast out fear. The, the International Standard Version, perfect love banishes fear. You think practically about the people that came to Jesus, uh, lepers who were required to move away from people actually came in close to Jesus. 
you think practically about the people who came to Jesus, uh, it is radically different than what we would think. Tax collectors came to him, women who who earn their money uh, in, uh, let's just be honest, sexually inappropriate ways, would crash a dinner party. And the Pharisees and scribes would know where that money came from to buy the alabaster flask of ointment. Yet, yet these people felt safe coming to Jesus. Roman soldiers, we mentioned the lepers, people who were considered unclean and excluded from the temple, like the woman who had the flow of blood, people who were injured, religious leaders who knew that others would shun them if they started raising questions about, hey, maybe, maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're not grasping all that God wants to do in our midst. All of these people felt safe. Why? Because perfect love, it eliminates insecurity. It makes people feel safe. In, in other words, a few moments ago, you saw this image right here. Love is the context of all we do. What we want to do here is just put fear outside of that and say, hey, hey fear doesn't exist inside of this environment. Fear does not exist inside the bounds here of the Father filling Jesus, of Jesus filling us, of the Father sending the Son to reveal the Father, of Jesus sending us to reveal Him, of Jesus revealing us to ourselves. Fear exists outside of those bounds. And again, here's one of the main ideas that we brought up earlier in this lesson is love is more important than the gifts. So here's, here's the ideas we've said so far. Perfect love. We don't only want to live up to your full potential of Christ being formed in you, but we want to love to your full potential. Number two is that perfect love. It casts out fear. It eliminates insecurity. It makes people feel safe. Here's point number three is fear reveals that we've not yet been perfected in love. When there's fear present, it, it doesn't condemn us. It just shows us, it highlights that we still need to walk towards, still step towards that full potential of Christ not only being formed in us, but also that love spilling forth out of us. So this is an incredibly big opportunity. Notice right here, 1 John 4, 18. Let's go back to the same verse. Just highlight something different. There's no fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear, again, with the same intensity that Jesus drove out demons. That full potential love does that because fear has to do with punishment. Hey, you probably have kids and realize that your kids get a little bit anxious when, when they even think that they might be in trouble. Okay, you, so you've seen this. I've seen this. You've, you've felt this. I've felt this before. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Notice 1 John 4, 12, we get another idea here, just kind of layering on top of this. No one has ever seen God. We talked about that in lesson one. No one had ever seen God. Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Now notice this, Jesus sends us, and if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression. You, you could even just kind of say his love is brought to full potential in us. When does that happen? That happens when we love each other. When does that happen? That happens when we make that the environment. That happens when fear is pushed out, when love becomes the context. That's when that occurs, when the full expression of love is brought into us. Well, earlier on, we talked about power, love, and a sound mind. We talked about the importance of 
walking in power, the importance of walking in love, the importance of walking in a sound mind. And I brought up this image right here, power, love, and a sound mind. And we said, hey, all, all of these are important. We want to walk in power. We want to walk in love. We want to walk in a sound mind. We don't want to uh, just have, as we saw in the previous lesson, just a form of godliness. We don't want to just have a form of religion. That, that would be more akin to morality, behavior only. We want to have a sound mind. We want to have love. We want to walk in power. But, but notice what happens here if we have power and if we have discipline but we don't have love, what people experience in us and what we actually practically live out is this hyper-judgy legalism. And the result is that people are pushed away rather than pulled in close. And, and I know you could look at it and say, well, that, well, they deserve it. They're doing things wrong. But again, look, look back here. Think practically about the people who approach Jesus. Tax collectors, women who earn money in licentious ways, lepers, Roman soldiers, people considered unclean and excluded from the temple, even religious leaders. There was no one who didn't feel safe coming close to Jesus. In fact, all of these people, their issues were obvious. They were owned, and Jesus never led with those issues. He, he didn't lead them just from morality and behavior only. He also led them with, with love. He didn't lead them with just legalism. He led them with this full expression of love. In fact, he even said to the disciples in the upper room that night before he was betrayed, tried, and then executed, people will know you are my disciples, not by how you exercise the spiritual gifts. Not by the eloquence of your preaching, not by the powerful uh, movement in the music of your worship, not by how slick the buildings look at your church, not by how smart you are, not by how you memorize the scripture, not by all these intelligent things that you can eloquently put together. People will know you are my disciples by the way you love. So, so again, love becomes the environment. Love becomes the context of everything that we do. A couple more ideas here. The big caution, this is our last main point, our final idea here is don't do it without love. Don't exercise the gifts without love. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul highlighted several of the gifts. He highlighted speaking and tongues and prophecy and understanding and faith and giving and martyrdom. And he said, hey, you know what? These gifts, these are easy. These are easy to do and express unlove. It's easy to speak from a stage and do it in a condemning way. It's easy to exercise the gift of tongues if you have that gift and do it in a way that makes people anxious and nervous. It's, it's easy to get up there and prophesy and put people on edge. It's easy if you have this understanding and insight and wisdom to somehow elevate yourself above others. It's easy if you got great faith to condemn people somehow with your words and make them feel less than because they're struggling with belief when all along they're never going to match your faith level because that might be your supernatural capacity and their supernatural capacity may very well be something else where they would outshine you. And the truth is we need each other giving. Man, don't, don't do it. He says, this is an easy one where people attempt to control and attempt to elevate and attempt to own others with what they've given, even martyrdom, people seem to want to condemn sometimes based on that. He says, hey, the greatest is not any of these. The greatest is love. 
Again, people will know you are my disciples. Jesus said, red letter in your scripture, if you've got a red letter version, by the way you, not by the way you speak in tongues, not by your prophetic words, not by your understanding or insight or faith or giving or wisdom or martyrdom. People will know you are my disciples by the way you love. And again, to go back to 1 John 4.12, we've already seen this passage here in this lesson. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, if you and I, we have an opportunity, if we get this one right, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. And that, my friend, is why we want to live out this framework right here. God has given you, he's given me a spirit as we see on the bottom of the graphic right there, of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, we want to live out the presence of the Holy Spirit. Love, we want to express the very heart of the Father as we walk out that power. In the next lesson, you can imagine where this is going. We'll come back and we'll talk about what it means to walk out our faith, not just with power, not with just love, but also that sound mind.